Hey, this is Joseph Massonary. I'm the pastor at Cornerstone, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you. I hope this helps you build your faith. I hope in some way that God will challenge you with a new perspective as you listen. Enjoy the message. We are continuing our series. We're on like week five or week four. I'm not even sure, but we've been talking a lot about heaven. Have you been enjoying it? Um, we are... We, we have been in this series for a few weeks now, and uh, can we also welcome, we've been noticing a little uptick, which is, which is to be expected with everything going on in the valley, a little uptick in those that are joining us online just a little bit, so there could be more and more of you deciding to watch at home. Can we say hello to those that are streaming online with us? We want to welcome them as well. Hello, we are waving. We do want to say hello to those, it's usually like 40 or 50, which is like a section. That's pretty good, a pretty good amount. But I hope we've been uh, challenged by what we have been by uh, this series called Heaven. Before we get started, I want to take a quick moment and uh, take a left-hand turn, so to speak. Because one of the things uh, I always want to be reminded in our church that we make sure to give honor where honor is due. That we're a church about just honoring those that we get to do life with and serve with. And so today, you may or not know it, but we've had a couple of young interns that have been interning since the beginning of COVID. They've come in uh, every Tuesday and Wednesday from anywhere to two to four hours and they work for free. And we're gonna make sure that we honor both of them and, and um, in, the, in the future. But today I wanna point out one of them in particular because this is her very last Sunday before she goes to Point Loma Nazarene University uh, in San Diego. And so, Caitlin, I want to invite you up here, Miss Saunders. I'm going to embarrass you one more time, young lady. Come up here, please. And she is, uh, she didn't know this was coming in first service, and uh, I put her on the spot. But come on, come on. You know Pastor Joey likes to get service out on time, so come on up here, girl. I'm teasing, I'm teasing. But we do want to make sure this young woman has been interning with us again since COVID started, and she has just played a wonderful role in helping lead our youth. Uh, goodness, I didn't even mention it. Starting a ministry called Beloved Daughters. They had 19 young ladies at their Bible study, Beloved Daughters, yesterday packing bags for the homeless. And so, so that we're going to put you in charge of our missions program. How about that? Like, my goodness, girl. But this young lady has just been a wonderful, wonderful servant. And she is uh, headed to Point Loma on Thursday morning. She'll be back. We're going to steal her every Thanksgiving, every Christmas, every summer. Maybe we can convince you to intern again. Um, but she has been serving, like I said, her and Salma. Where's Salma at? We do want to, we love you as well, your family back there. Um, Salma has been doing it too, but we did want to take a moment just to pray for Caitlin. Is Pastor Mike, where's Pastor Mike in here? He did an amazing job in first service. Can can he, is he, is he still here? Somebody go snatch him for me because I want him to pray specifically for this young lady. Uh, but man, she has done an amazing job. We also, I don't know, I don't see it on you, but we, when, when we used to intern back in the day, we, we would bring in kids that would intern all summer long and we would just torture them. And then at the very end of the internship, we would, um, we would take a little love offering and we would give it to them. And so in first service, we, we actually did, we, we had a little bit of a check. It's nothing compared to like the, the amount that she is valued, and it's nothing, it's nothing compared to what we probably should try to give you. I'm teasing, 
But when we serve God, it was a little bit that maybe it can be that it'll, it'll help decorate that college dorm room or buy that college couch or whatever it is for this young lady as she goes. So I don't know if I don't, I don't have a check to give you, but we did give it to you in first service. She probably already, you might want to cash it quick. No, I'm kidding. I'm teasing. Cash it right now. I'm teasing. But Papa Mike, would you come up here and join us? And I, I in particular wanted to have him uh, come and and even Miss Jen, come on up. Let's pray for this young lady or any of the young people that are here. Or saw, I, I see Sabrina over there. Where are you at, Little Red? If you want to come pray for this young lady, we want to do this and honor her as she goes because she has served us well. And um, one thing that I know as parents, and I, I am not looking forward to this with my three girls, but if we do our jobs well, we're going to get to an age where we transition them and we release them. And we want to make sure we have relationship with them, not because they need us as parents any longer, because we've done our job so well, but hopefully it's because they want to be with us and they want to be in relationship with us. Amen. Parents in the house, isn't that our prayer? But I, this, this, this dynamic of, of letting our, our girls, our boys, our sons, our daughters go, um, it's a dynamic that I'm challenged by. And I wanted Papa Mike to come up here and pray for Caitlin, because I know you've, as I said in first service, you have two young ladies that are special to me. I married, I married your oldest daughter. But um, you've had to do this, this process of letting go of your, of, your, of your princesses. And so we want to pray for the Saunders family. We want to pray for Mike and Jen. And we want to pray for Caitlin in this next step in your life. So um, take it away there, Papa Mike. You know, as parents in this, the scope of parenthood, uh, we know that those years are out there when... They're going to head off to do what God has for them. But we never really think that it's going to happen, do we? But that's just part of God's design and, and how all that works together. But, uh, and I don't know if Pastor Joey mentioned this, but uh, Point, uh, Point Loma, near San Diego. Now, this is the college that it's like the, I mean, it's not beautiful at all. It's... <laughs> It's just like out in a wasteland. Do I have that correct? Paradise. Oh, I do. It's yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, for those of you who don't know, it's, it's right on the ocean. And uh, God bless her. I know that uh, that's where God has called you for this next season uh, of life. And we know that uh, when it comes to studies and how God's going to, uh, to use you, uh, to grow in in all those areas of life just as you have uh, here at Cornerstone so uh, Congregation if you would reach out and we're gonna pray for Caitlin and just ask that uh, that God will bless her Father just as Caitlin uh, begins this this new season in life that uh, where she's heading off to college away from mom and dad and breaking out into something new. And we just ask that just as you have guided her uh, for these past so many years, we know that you'll continue to do that. Just bless her with, oh Lord, whatever the classes she might be taking or uh, new friendships and being involved in all that uh, college life is about. Just bless her in all that she does. And may she, she always understand and realize that there is a God that that cares for her so much. And also uh, for the mom and dad uh, that are here. I know they're going to miss their precious little one. 
but as Pastor Joey did mention, it's just all part of God's grand design. So we lift this up to you. Father, we love you. We know that you, uh, you care for Caton so, so much. And uh, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Amen. Good job, Caitlin. Amen. Man, Miss Jen is, if you know Miss Jen, she likes to plan. And I know on Tuesday she's going to be upset with me because I didn't tell her every detail of service today. I kept that one a secret in first service. But we love that family. We love that young lady. Um, I don't know where she went, but that, that, my favorite restaurant in the world is called Pomodoro. It's on Shelter Island, and it's about three miles from her college campus. So maybe we'll have to go down there, and we'll pay for dinner sometime, Missy. But this morning, do you have a Bible? We have been in this series. Let's get going. Let's get at it. We were challenged the last couple of weeks. I hope you've been challenged in this series called Heaven. The, the overwhelming theme that we keep coming back to is our view of eternity affects our behavior. Our view of eternity affects our today. We're going to get into some challenging scripture, some challenging words from Jesus. But would you raise your hand if you were here last week or you caught the message online? It's all good either way. But if you were, kind of, if you were with us last week, we spoke about this word that sometimes can get a little bit scary. We spoke about this word called judgment. And we, we looked at how for the believer, there's two types of judgment in the Bible. And I hope it changed our mindset a little bit. I know it did for me because we talk about for the believer, there's this, this judgment that occurs. It's called the, the great white throne judgment mentioned in the book of Revelation. And it's basically this, this it, what is said is when the Lamb's book of life is opened and your name is written there, you have access to Jesus. It's an amazing, it's, it's an amazing type judgment for the Christ follower. It means we are in his presence. It means our, our name is written in the book of life. You can't white it out. You, you can't blot it out. You can't take it away. And then there was this second type of judgment for the believer. And it was, it was, it was called the, the judgment seat of Christ that Paul references and I've always grown up in church looking at judgment like it's this scary, bad thing that like all my thoughts, all the things I've done in secret, they're just going to be displayed on the giant movie screen in, in, in heaven. And after I endure that, that shame and that humiliation that, oh my goodness, now I can enjoy heaven. But when Paul talks about being before the judgment seat of Christ, it couldn't be any different than what my mindset goes to. He, spoke, he speaks about this word, Bema. And, and for those of us that may have watched the Olympics, the word that Paul gives, it's this Olympic type word. It's this award ceremony moment where they award the gold medals and the silver medals, right? He, he took it from the, these games that were going on during his time. And it's that moment, the judgment seat of Christ for the believers, that moment where Jesus is going to look you in the eye and he is going to say thank you. This Bema type judgment, he's going to say thank you. And then the Bible goes on and says he is going to reward you. Well, we're going to continue to look at this series on heaven. But I've decided this week, I just felt led by the Lord to change the topic and look at another alternative, so to speak. If you've been with us in this series on heaven, you know that we sing about it, we talk about it, we pray about it, but we don't often in the church teach about heaven. And if we don't often have a series about heaven, then you know in the church today, at least in the United States, we very rarely talk about the other option, 
Today's message is called the unspoken option, and that is hell. The one we, we really like, we, well, not only do we not mention heaven as often as we should, we rarely enjoy or are comfortable mentioning hell. If you've been with us the last few weeks, one thing that is certain is we all have an appointment. We all have that time one day. We have something in common, each of us in this room, and that is there is an appointment to meet God face to face. You can kill a body, you can murder a body, but it's clear from scripture that you cannot destroy or murder a soul. So when you die, the Bible says there are two options. Option number one is the one we love to sing about. We, we confess, we maybe, maybe we should talk about it a little bit more, but it, it's enjoyable. We love to sing about it. It brings us hope. It brings us happiness. It brings us comfort. And that's that heavenly option, the option of heaven. But then there's the reality. Scripture often mentions a second option, and it is the option that we really love to ignore. We tend to stay silent about it, or we tend to try to soften the blow, so to speak, or change the spiritual definition of the place. We, we, we tend to use terms like universalism, whereas this idea that, you know what, is if God's loving, then you know what, just everybody's going to make it. Everybody's going to get in. There's other terms that we talk about. There's, there's things mentioned, any J.J. Abrams fans in the house, there's this, this lost idea from that. Anybody remember Lost? It's been a few years. I'm getting older, right? This purgatory type idea, right? We, things that we, alternatives that we like to kind of soften the blow and not really deal with what the Bible really, really says about this place called hell. It's an interesting message to teach in our culture today with all of the heartbreak and the, the real world problems that we have seen take place over the last, the, the trauma that we have walked through in the last few years. With all the problems in the world today, we need to talk about heaven a whole lot. But the reality and the truth is we also need to talk about hell as well. Because if we don't accept what the word has to say, what the Bible has to say about this place called hell, then we will never really understand the radical grace the radical gospel message that is Jesus. Would you agree with that this morning? So as we get into this, my prayer is that we, we don't kind of feel so much, I don't want to shame anybody or, or get us all so scared that we just make a response because of shame or fear, but really that we appreciate and we begin to understand more and more the goodness of Jesus. Amen? Could that be our prayer? Let's bow our heads. Let's pray this morning as we begin to focus on the word. Heavenly Father, we ask today that your scripture would inspire us and speak to us. Lord, we ask that we would be inspired not by the words of any person or man or anything we've done, but God, we would be inspired because of your grace and your truth that is found in the word of God. God, don't scare us into submission, but inspire us with your truth that would move us to real change. God, inspire us and show us just how much is really actually at stake when it comes to eternity. In Jesus' holy name, can all God's people say amen? Can we do a little, this is the 11 o'clock, you're usually a little, can we say amen? 
Come on, 11, let's go. Have you had your Starbucks, your five bucks? Wake it up, you know, get, get that cappuccino going this morning. But I have a question for you. Would you pull out your smartphone, your notes, or would you pull out your, your Bible and write this question down? What is the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear the word hell? When the word, when the place hell is mentioned, right? Not just, I'm not talking about just the curse word that culturally we, we, we use and people throw out there, right? But what comes to mind? What's the, just somebody shout something out. In first service, somebody said fire, right? What's the first thing that comes to mind when I, when I say the word, the place, when we mention the place, hell? What comes to mind? Somebody just shout, shout me down. A liar, fire, suffering. suffering, pain, suffering, pain, fire. Yeah, there's a lot of things that probably come, depending on your upbringing. Um, I know some, like, Papa Mike was raised in the Catholic Church. And maybe, depending on your upbringing, when you hear the word hell, maybe, maybe you, you think of something like, I'm a confession, 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 because just please don't send me to hell. Like, God, please, this is not where I want to go. Maybe, maybe you were raised Baptist. And you were like, man, I am sure I am not going to hell, and I am sure those people are. No, I'm kidding. Little Baptist joke. I'm just joking. But uh, maybe, I don't know what you're up. We, we all have the, the different thoughts go into our mind when we hear the word, when we share the place called hell. But what you believe about eternity affects how you live today. There was a study I was reading about. It said 74% of Americans, that's a large percentage. Would you agree? 74% of Americans believe in heaven. I, I look around our country and I, that, that, is a, that is a much higher statistic than I would think is out there. Is anybody else blown away by that at all? Right? We, we always see different studies and different things and things that colleges, surveys that people do, but it said 74% of Americans believe in this place called heaven. But then it said of that 74%, of that, that, that group, it said that only four out of 10 of those people that believe in heaven, only four out of 10 believe in this place called hell, right? This place called hell, the questions that we have, who's, who did what, who's going where, what do we do there, what happens there, and who's going where? Those are real questions that we ask. There's no doubt in our country we've probably even fallen into this mindset, I know I have, where we think about fairness and justice and we think hell has got to be reserved just for the baddest of the bad. Have you ever thought that? So, okay, right? Even culturally, you watch movies or entertainment, we think like hell is a place that is just for the really, really bad people. The murderers, right? The, the, the terrorists, the rapists, the people that are, that are really bad. But hell couldn't possibly be a place for little old me, right? It's kind of like, but Jesus, if we look at scripture, you have your Bible, Matthew chapter 7 this morning. Matthew chapter 7, if you would open it up and if you would read scripture with me. Verse 13, the picture that Jesus paints tells a bit of a different story than sometimes what my ears would like to hear. Do you guys ever notice that? Sometimes like the words of Jesus make me a little bit uncomfortable. And here's some, he says this in verse 13, enter through the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. 14, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. 
He says, and only a few find it. Jesus says there's a lot of people. Even that statistic would back up the words of Jesus. Would we talk about 74%, but then four of 10? We could just agree that Jesus is probably correct when he says there's a lot of people that are headed down the wrong path. Jesus would tell us there's a lot of people that they, they, they might be headed for destruction. I remember one of my favorite college movies. Is any, 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 I'm like a late millennial. Any, 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 any of us in our 30s where the cool thing to do back in the day was have a DVD rack. And raise your hand if you had a, like a dorm room or a house. Some of us. Some, nobody wants to raise. All right. You had the DVD collection. And every college student at my school had to have, in your, in your collection, somebody would have a Quentin Tarantino movie. You'd have to have Pulp Fiction, right? You had to have this other movie was called The Usual Suspects. Anybody remember that movie? Oscar-winning movie. And, and there was a line that always stuck with me in this movie. And it was this. The, the hook of it was, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he didn't exist. The greatest trick... The, the greatest weapon in his arsenal is to convince us that not only does, does he not exist, but to convince the church, to convince your kids, to convince your friends that, you know what, hell isn't even a real thing after all. You can kind of just look the other way when it comes to scripture. You don't need to, if, if you believe God's word is God breathed, you, know, you can kind of just look the other way and ignore some of what scripture has to say about hell and if we ignore what scripture has to say about hell if we don't take hell seriously then we might might as well live however we want to live we want as well do whatever we want to do and not worry about consequences from a, a god that if we really look at scripture god is love would you agree but there is also a fatherly there is also a wrath that we have not had to experience because Jesus experienced that wrath on the cross. Right? Do you get where I'm going with this? There is a wrath that has been held back for us because Jesus took it on the cross. He took all of God's wrath in that moment and made a way for us. Often our spiritual urgency to share the gospel or share news that is actually fantastic, it's, it's diminished because... Even in the church, we really, at times, we're probably all guilty of just not taking hell all that seriously. Well, if you have your notes, I want to address a few truths this morning quickly. And, and I want to talk about a few things. Would you write down this question in, this, uh, in your notes this morning or in your smartphone? How do you know hell exists? That's where we're going to start this morning. How do you know hell exists? Well, number one, would you write this down? Hell exists because Jesus said it does. Number one, would you write that down? Hell exists because it's what Jesus said. Jesus said it exists. No one in the church seems to have a problem today, or even if you're not a church person. Anyone outside the church doesn't really seem to have a problem if you say heaven exists. Because newsflash, Jesus spoke a lot about heaven. Jesus told us heaven is real. Jesus spoke about heaven in scripture. He said it's a real place. Look at what Jesus said about heaven in John chapter 14. How many of you just have certain parts of scripture that you love? Any of us? John chapter 14. I love this promise. We started off our series with this scripture. Verse 1, do not let your hearts be troubled, Jesus said. If you believe in God, you believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. 
If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me that you also may be where I am. How many of us love that verse? How many of us love that hope for eternity, that hope for heaven, that hope that our, 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 our Savior is, he is preparing a place for us right now as we speak. He's preparing a place for us. And we're going to get into more and more about what heaven is like. I love that verse. But you know, church, the reality is you and I, we do not get to pick which words of Jesus we agree with and like. And we don't get to pick which words of Jesus we just want to dismiss. We don't get to pick the, the words of Jesus that we agree with and follow what we want to follow and then ignore the rest of Jesus's truth of his warnings. You know, fun fact, when you go, when we talk about red letters in the Bible, the words that Jesus spoke, do you know Jesus actually spoke more about hell than he spoke about heaven? Jesus actually spoke more about this place called hell than he spoke about heaven. And here's just a glimpse today. And, and man, you could study this on your own time, but we're going to talk about some real, real questions. Mark chapter 9, verse 43. Would you read it with me this morning? Jesus says this. This is, I, anybody ever have parts of scripture they don't like? I spoke about, like, right? Is it okay to say like, man, I wish, I wish scripture, I wish it was a little easier than that. I wish, I wish, like, that's, that's not what I want to hear all the time. I tend to measure myself up to the words of Jesus and realize I tend to fall short every time. My gosh, when I do the comparison game to what Jesus says. Here's what he says. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. He says, it's better to enter eternal life with only one hand than to go into the unquenchable fires of hell with two hands. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter eternal life with only one foot and be thrown into hell with two feet. 47, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. It's better to enter the kingdom of God with only one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into hell where the maggots never die and the fire never goes out. When Jesus mentions the word hell in this passage, this is a little uncomfortable stuff, isn't it, right? When he mentions it in this passage, we're going to come back, we're going to circle back to this definition later in the Greek, the language that is used here. But the word hell in this context, it's a Greek word called Gehenna, and it is used by Jesus as a synonym for hell. Gehenna was a garbage dump that was south of Jerusalem. It was outside the city. How many of you in Las Vegas praise Jesus for those blue trucks that come through our neighborhood once a week? Right. That is a bill I never will miss. Thank you, Lord, for Republic services and those men and women who operate it and those people who drive that dumpster truck. Somebody say amen. Right. I enjoy and love the fact that they come once a week and they pick up all of that stinky trash. All of that, especially in the summertime. Think of that, right? Some of us are like, man, I, do, I, just, I can't even eat lunch now, right? But in the, think of that in the summertime, the way your garage or the side of your house. I'm so thankful that they come once a week because, frankly, I don't want to look at it. Frankly, when it comes to the garbage, I don't want to smell it. I don't want to see it. I don't want to deal with it. 
Jesus uses this synonym for hell, this Gehenna word, and he says it's where you take your garbage, and it gets worse. It gets a whole lot worse than that, but we'll talk about it later. But, man, raise your hand if you like to be clean. I hope that would be all of us, especially these days, right? Wash our hands. There's nothing wrong with washing our hands. Let's wash our hands. Please wash our hands, right? But, man, we don't want to hang out with trash. We don't want to smell it. We don't want to see it. We don't want to deal with it. They would actually burn everything in that culture. You'll see that sometimes. I remember I used to go on mission trips to Belize and they would burn the trash in their backyards or in their front yard. That would be a common thing that people would just burn the trash. They would burn everything, but they also would burn the bodies of corpses. They would burn the animals. We're going to talk about a few other things in a minute. But when Jesus speaks about this this location, this hell, he's referencing this fiery garbage dump that gets very descriptive. And he references this fire that will never go out because the garbage just keeps coming in. And that, that garbage just keeps fueling the fires and that fire cannot be extinguished. Matthew Chapter 25, if you have a a Bible, another question. Would you write this down before we read this scripture? Why does hell exist? If we we talk about heaven being a real place, we have to answer this question. And we have some tough questions today. And and whether you're in your teen years or however long you've been following Christ, I have news for you. These are questions that all of us have to begin to answer for ourselves. Why does hell exist? It's a fair question. It deserves to be asked. Sometimes maybe we don't ask it enough in church. If God is so good, if God is so loving, why does hell exist? Have you ever thought that? Have you ever had someone ask you that question? Well, here's one reason. We're going to talk about a few. Hell exists for God to deal righteously with Satan. Would you write that down in your notes this morning? Hell exists for God to deal righteously with Satan. Matthew 25, 41. Look at what it says here. It says, Then the king will turn to those on his left and he will say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared. Prepared for who? The devil and his demons. Those angels that, that, that were cast out. It says, It's been prepared for the devil. It's for him to deal righteously. Culturally, we have turned... The devil into something. Could we almost say it around every October? This idea, it 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 it, it gets cutified. Is that, that's not even a word, is it? Cute. Turn to someone and say cutified. The devil is not cutified, right? We we've culturally almost turned the devil into this 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 red suit wearing pitchfork horns. I think of that. Anybody been on that ride? And it kind of freaks me out. But that ride at Disneyland called Mr. Toad. And these little like devils and demons with pitchforks, <laughs> and they're like all over the. Anybody see that movie, Little Nicky? Very cheesy movie back in the day with Adam Sandler, and the devil is basically reduced to this guy with a red suit and a pitchfork, and he's punishing people that we could all agree should be punished. We could all agree that man, it's the worst of the worst. They they deserve that. Those bad people. While entertaining at times, we need to understand through scripture and we need to be able to identify through scripture that what how culture depicts our enemy is very different when than the reality of which the bible describes him the bible says 
He is not entertaining at all, but he's actually the embodiment of all evil. The Bible says that our enemy is behind every addiction. That, that family member that has struggled with addiction and addictions to drugs, that, that the, the deceiver is behind that alcoholism. The deceiver is behind that abuse. That deceiver is behind that sickness. The deceiver, our enemy, the dark angel, the destroyer, he is, he is behind all of that pain, that fear. That's how scripture describes him. It says he's the enemy. He's the adversary. It says he's the father of what? Lies. He's the thief. He's the wicked one. His mission is to kill, to steal, and to destroy. Not only you, but everything and everyone you love. His job is to kill your faith. His job is to ruin your health. His job is to destroy your kids, to destroy your marriage, to hurt your children. And really, his job is to steal any sense of joy in your life. He is not the cute little pitchfork guy in a red suit with a few Halloween flames around him. Bible in Revelation chapter 20 says this, And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So why is there hell? Why does hell even exist? One reason, would you write that down? Hell exists for God to deal righteously with Satan. Would you agree with that a little bit this morning? Nod and smile if that sounds, that sounds scriptural. Well, here we go. It's going to get a little more complicated on number three. Another reason why hell exists, and this is the scratch. This is the rub. This is the, the thing that each of us have to ask and begin to make sense of. Number three, hell exists for God to deal righteously with unbelievers. Hell exists for God to deal righteously with unbelievers, and it gets tricky because we all have a kind neighbor. We all have a friend who's a nice person. Maybe you have kids, right? I, I joked first, I said, we all know a, a wonderful soccer mom or a super cool soccer dad that makes the best cold orange slices and provides everything for the team. If a, how can a loving God send the cool orange slicing soccer mom to hell? Right? These are, these are real questions. How, how, can, how can God do this? And yet so oftenly, before we answer this question, we often see that culturally, we, we seem to have a culture that wants a response when something wrong is done. When somebody says something that is out of line, and boy, oh boy, do we read it all the time, right? When someone does something that is out of line, we live in a culture even where we see it's, it's, it's not only demanded, yet sometimes celebrated. Very little forgiveness culturally that seems to be offered these days. We want, we want someone to pay the price. There's no doubt that it seems like when there's wrongdoing, we have this feeling culturally that there's somebody should pay. Yet often the very people who want that type of justice, who show a lack of forgiveness, or maybe a lack of empathy at times, would argue for a God that is all about grace. They would argue for a God that is all about mercy. A God that just has to forgive everything. And a God that doesn't stand for any justice at all. 
I would argue that each of us have a temptation and we have to face this temptation head on. I've thought about this. I have this tendency, and I think you have this tendency, to remake God into my image. To remake the words of Jesus, uh, to, 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 to obey the words of Jesus that I like and I agree with. But I'm tempted to remake God into what I want him to be or what I think he should be because it allows me to justify what I want. Does anybody here ever fight that urge, right? Right? We, 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 well, Jesus said God, the most important commandment is love. And if God is love, he has to be okay with my decisions. If God is love, then he's going to give me a pass. If God is love, then you know what? I, I, I tend to think, man, if God is love, then he just, hopefully he grades me on a curve and he compares me to you. And he compares us all to each other. And then it's all good because we all get in. You can do whatever you want because wink, wink, God is love and he'll tolerate it. If we're not careful, we have to fight this, this feeling to remake God into what we want him to be. Here's the thing. It's impossible for God to be holy without him being just. He cannot be holy if he is not just. 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 8. Would you read it with me? It says, he will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out, shut out, shut out from the presence of the Lord. So hell exists for God to deal righteously with those who are dead in their sin and don't know Christ. This isn't really a fun thing to talk about on a Sunday morning, is it? Some of you are like, man, I'm really glad I came to church lately. Such uplifting messages, Pastor. Right? The last few weeks, right? Challenging stuff, isn't it? When we talk about heaven, we talk about hell. But if we don't see the reality of what God's word says about hell, we won't understand the goodness and the fullness of the gospel. And we won't even begin to live for or appreciate or strive for the glory of heaven. Jesus himself spoke about hell a whole lot. Let's look at an instance. Luke chapter 16. Would you jump in? We're going to read a lot of this passage. There's some insight to what hell could be like. The parable he told, it's an often, uh, when I got to this scripture last week, I wanted to spend some more time in it. And so it leads us to where we're at today. Luke chapter 16, verse 19. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple. Now be careful when we read this, because we just might be like, why are you wearing purple, bro? Right? But in this culture, Jesus right away is telling the audience, it's a color meant for royalty Uh, the bible jesus is saying this is a crazy rich man because the color purple in that culture it meant something different to than to us today you're just like cool it's a nice summertime color or whatever right we don't think about the colors we wear very often but in that time that that color was made for royalty because it was made with such an expensive dye and then the bible says that he would wear fine linen This is he lived in luxury every day. Jesus communicates to his subjects that this guy wasn't just ordinary rich. How many of you know in our culture today, like you might know one or two. 